Advertising Week is proud to present Great Minds, People, and Culture, a podcast dedicated to exploring the art of intentional leadership during times of change. The goal of Great Minds, People, and Culture is to provide our audience with practical strategies, reliable data, and tangible advice as we look to empower leaders seeking to make a positive impact. Each 30-minute episode of People and Culture is a deep dive into the intricacies of effective leadership, featuring insightful conversations with experts and thought leaders. Great Minds People and Culture premieres September 2023 and will be available through your podcast store of choice and at advertisingweek.com. Welcome to Great Minds, and our guest today is Amy Lanzi. Amy is the CEO for North America of Digitas, one of the great, great shops. And we just found, Amy, something that we have in common that neither of us knew, which is you are currently in 375 Hudson Street. And I was in that building when it opened in 1988. What were you doing in the building at that time? That's so exciting. I can't wait to hear. So my uh, first real significant job was uh, I was the founder and executive director of the New York City Sports Commission. It was started under Mayor Koch, post 84 LA Games. The modern day sports marketing industry was really born. And you can go back and look at the evolution of that industry and seminal figures like Mark McCormick, who started IMG, and Donald Dell, who's still around in ProServe. And it was the real evolution of what would become the global sports and entertainment marketing business. And uh, cities recognized that sports was economic development. And I was having this conversation with somebody yesterday, you know, what difference does it make that the Jets and Giants play in New Jersey? It's still the New York area. It's it's all the same, isn't it? Well, no, it isn't because the tax money goes to Trenton and not to Albany. So I convinced Koch and the Speaker of the City Council, a guy named Peter Ballone, I was only 23, to start the New York City Sports Commission, and they agreed to do it but said, all right, we'll pay your salary, but you've got to raise the money privately. I think my salary, Amy, was like $32,000, something like that. This is about you. So this is the last story about me, Amy. Well, I have uh, to ask you, I don't know if this is part of the podcast, but you might, have you ever met my brother, Tom Worcester? No, I don't think so. Was he so in the Tom, sports world? Yeah, he was, he was at a VP of marketing of sponsorship at Major League Baseball. Okay. At the time when Steve Phelps was running the NFL. Okay. He then went over to IMG. His wife, Ann Worcester, worked at IMG on Virginia Slims. Oh my She's God. now one of the like advisors to Pickleball. And he built IMG College. How oh, fantastic. Really sort of hacking how you get to buying several schools. As, as you know, college is very difficult if you try sure. sure. deals. Drove the NCAA. Anyway, so listening to your story, and now he is at CAA, actually. So he's now just a full-up agent um, in music, and he runs their national office. 
so anyway, it's like, that, I love hearing your story because yeah. like, this is my brother's career. So fast forward, my niece, she works at 160 over 90, which is an endeavor agency. Right. So like, this has like been a fabric of like my, like the, my brother is older than me. So I've like sort of watched him in the industry and have like a great love for sports marketing. And it, I think we're having a new moment for sports marketing is definitely coming in hot. So anyway, fantastic. I yeah, yeah, no, I, I guess I come closest to Tom, uh, and you mentioned uh, Virginia Slims. I was very friendly with Ellen Merlo, who ran all of Philip Morris's yeah. sports and entertainments by including Virginia Slims tennis. And ironic, if you talk to, I'm sure your brother would confirm this, if you talk to the Chris Everts and the Martina Navratilovas, they all loved Virginia Slims because before Virginia Slims, there was no money in women's tennis. That's right. So his wife, his now wife, they've been married for 30 years, and person, she was working at Philip Morris on Virginia Slims. So Amazing. anyway, Amazing. I love that. So, story. so just, okay, to just, to, right. just to fast forward. So <laughs> um, the guy who we ultimately got to be our first chairman of the sports commission was a guy named Gary Sussanjara. He's uh, no longer with us. Gary was president of what was then called Saatchi and Saatchi DFS Compton. DFS was Dancer Fitzgerald Sample, which was a legendary creative agency. And when Sir Martin sort of nicked what would become WPP away from the Saatchi brothers, that whole company was built through a series of acquisitions. And so they ended up with a lot of presidents at one point in time. Gary was one of them. And I was in this really shitty city office on John Street. It was 17 John Street. I had half a conference room. The typewriter I used, I had to wait for the civil service secretary to go out for lunch to use her typewriter <laughs> because she was the only one who had one with the correcto. Oh, ball. yeah. You know, if you made a mistake to write a letter, the first computer I got, I bought and dragged it over the Brooklyn Bridge to my apartment because it was one of those Sharpton days of outrage when they marched on the subway in Borough Hall and shut the whole city down. You know, the two, three, four, five. Sure. They would yeah. take them all out of commission. And uh, at any rate, Gary was our chairman. And he said, why don't you move in with me? We just moved into this new building that Saatchi built. The Saatchi name was on that building for many, many years. And I said, can I do that? You know, I don't have permission from, I, I reported to uh, the commissioner of the Office of Business Development, part of the Economic Development Office and the mayor's office. And he said, yeah, they, they all leave at five o'clock. Just leave and I'll cover you. So I took like all my stuff was in like a box, probably half a box. And now it would be like an 18, you know, wheel semi, you know, to get all my stuff somewhere. And, uh, and I moved into the Saatchi building down the hall from him on the executive floor. He gave me this great, great office. Uh, the skyline was very different than it had incredible views up, up, you know, all the way uptown. And uh, I spent years in that building. And when I was young and cool, I used to live on McDougal Street. So I could literally walk to work. And I have very fond memories of that building, that neighborhood. I still love to go down there. And so here you are all these years later and Digitas is in that building and, yeah, and we're getting yeah. a chance to catch up today. So that's it. Absolutely. That's it for me. I now love it's about it. I you. love that story. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah, no, I haven't, uh, didn't know we were going to go there, which is a, a great part of the fun here. 
So, Amy, I'd love to start uh, by going back to part of your history, and it's sort of legendary. I've had a lot of friends who have gone through the program, know about the program. I think I got to go to bits and pieces of it a couple times going way back in the memory bank, and that's Omnicom University, sort of legendary for what it does for people. And I'd love to dig into that and your experience and how it helped you and why does it have the stellar reputation that it does? I love that you asked that question. Omnicom University is is really legendary inside of, of Omnicom. It was built by Janet Riccio, who was also a legendary in herself. She passed away recently and is just, just fantastic in terms of her vision and the way she created things to make many types of humans do well in the industry. In her case, she was really driving female empowerment. She also led the birth of Omni women. But this is an example of what, you know, I think was her at her core, which was really about finding the rising stars and bringing them into a place like Babson to get them to basically have a mini business school experience for a full week together where you are reading cases and you're learning about things that are coming into the industry or things that as a a leader you should be thinking about that you haven't thought about yet. It's really designed to bring that rising group of future leaders together. And it does a couple of things. One, it's about taking a moment out of the day-to-day business to think about other parts of the business. So if you are, you know, if you grew up on the media side, you're now reading cases that are written about transformation in the advertising side, the creative side. If you're on the, you know, advertising side, you're now hearing about what's happening on the media side. And so it really starts to drive cross-trained leaders as one of the secrets that happens there. It also puts together the group that is all growing up together. So that when you start walking into connected pitches, um, clients that really want a future operating model that's designed for not just one of those capabilities, but how they all work together, you've now put together these leaders so that they know each other because it's like going to college for a week. Like you literally stay at Babson, you all eat together. It's like a moment in time. And it's that is what's really magical about it. So even as I've left Omnicom, I am still very close to many of the people that were in my one week time and you go two more years after that we like kind of figured out how we're going to grow up into the industry into the next phase. So, you know, that prepared me to walk into a CEO role at Digitas. And it also makes you really think hard about how you want to be a leader and what are the things that you hold true as you're shaping an organization and you're shaping yourself as a leader. The cases are also a mixture of things that are written, bespoke, written for the those from Omnicom, right? So there's they're based on client work, um, what agencies have done. But then there are other cases that are traditionally taught uh, at, at business school that have nothing to do with the industry meaning our advertising industry, but very much have to do with your leadership style, And the secrets, the things you need to be thinking about uh, as you grow up and want to run a company. And it's pretty magical 
And, you know, I loved my time in night. So I, you know, there's a, it's a three-year process and I really have every year. The first year is very scary because like, you know, it's like going to college. <laughs> you're not going to be late. If you're late, you get in trouble. And there's a lot of pressure to perform and read everything and talk about it like you would if you were in business school and you want to impress everyone. And so that sort of then makes you be better and then, of course, there's also this this camaraderie that comes out of it, similar to when you work on a big pitch with a team that you don't know and you come out of it because you've sweat through it and you're now, you know, basically great friends as well as respect each other's craft. Uh, and then you come back the following years and there's more things. And so you really look forward to it. And it's also an honor if you and your agency, as well as the work you've done, are featured in one of these cases later, which I think is also an a really interesting outcome from that um, experience because it makes you want to be better. It makes you want to be the one that is bringing forward this thing that is going to be training everyone globally around the thing you did to disrupt or change or, you know, take a different point of view to, to drive your client's business. Well, and that you made a connection between that and preparing you for your current role as CEO of Digitas says a lot, as does the fact that you said you're still in touch with so many of those people, because this was not yesterday. This was quite some time ago. Yes, it was nine years ago so this summer when I went to round two. So yeah, so it was over a decade ago. Fantastic. And it's, you know, it's it's fun. Actually, a gentleman that was in my my group, Carl Laredo, he's the CMO, global CMO of Wendy's. And every time I see him, I'm like, Carl, what's going on? Because we were, you know, because there are lots of competitive agencies, right? Like we have competitive, every age, every hold co has a series of agencies that compete. And so, you know, you you feel yourself wanting to be smarter than that person in front of everyone. And then you, of course, become great friends through the process. So I really, I love that you asked. I didn't expect that question, but it, it is really a one. It's an honor to be selected. It's an honor for your agency to give you the time off required to prepare for it. And then it's an honor to talk about it. So thank you for asking me about that. Absolutely. So I want to talk about one particular part of what you did. You had a great, great run, almost 14 years with Omnicom at TPN. And I know you worked on some great client work uh, around J&J &J and so many other brands. But as part of your remit, you also were involved in helping sort of build strategic partnerships across Omnicom. And that is one of the sort of founding premises or promises, if you will, of the whole holding company strategy. I'm gonna challenge you a little. My observation is that that gets blown a lot more than it gets executed properly because people are still compensated a certain way. There's inherent competition within family companies and holding companies for business. And, and I would throw out there that overall, the opportunity has not been exploited nearly as well as it could be because of the nature of these things that I just referenced. Talk about your experience in building horizontal partnerships across Omnicom, big area of opportunity. You were on the front lines actually trying to make that happen. So it's a great question. And when a little bit of history on TPN, I was part I was employee number 30 we were acquired inside of Omnicom I was a kid when that happened so I was like oh that sounds great what, what's going to happen and it was a really you know fantastic opportunity in like my first part of my career to make sure that we were scaling and we were able to grow what 
was the core of the offering of TPN to really grow it so that we were performing and could really become a known brand inside of Omnicom. That's job one. So be a practitioner. Then when you start thinking about the transformation of clients, this I saw that we had to have more connectivity between my core area at the time, which is the shopper commerce retail space, and how I was going to help BBDO bring meaningful campaigns to market that not only grabbed attention of, for example, first-time expectant moms, because you mentioned J&J, in the places they're spending time, but also in the places they're buying things. And this is what our clients needed us to do to make these two things work together. And the the team at BBDO, and I do think this gets down to the team and the people, it always does, knew that they didn't know how to do what I was basically a practitioner on, which is how do we make this brand grow in an unowned ecosystem where BBDO is really great at telling brand stories and making that magical, timeless creative. So it was a li- so that's a, that was always my point of view is like what is the one thing so when i look at partners whether it's partners inside of a hold co like omnicom or here what is the one thing you're really good at to an agency everyone has to do this what is your one thing cuz i know what our one thing is and so then you can figure out the joint value prop so that you can say TPN plus BBDO, TPN plus DDB, I know what I'm good at. And so now I'm able to meaningfully come in and help you convert the work. And I'm going to convert the work along with you, because this is what the clients need us to do to keep up with the way the consumers behave. So at its core, it should be, we should be doing this because our consumers don't care Consumers don't care. First-time expected moms don't care about the PL that sits here and who gets the money. They don't care. They just want to really be good at giving their baby a first bath. So let's let's use that as, as the rallying cry because all boats will rise. So I've always leaned on what do we need to do to make our brands grow through the lens of changing consumers so we keep up with them? And then you'll find like-minded teams and people that agree with you and want to do that. There's also a self-selection, meaning if there are some agencies that, and this is really more of my experience at Omnicom, less here, um, that I'm pitching with, and then it becomes scope time and I don't suddenly get my fair share, we're not doing that again. Just like if you were not nice to me, I wouldn't meet you for coffee again. That's how I view it. (laughs) And I mean, it's because it's business. And you know what? If you and clients can feel it, they can feel that I, you know, at the time, court the teams that I structured to really build that out based on use cases of winning work and growth, things that drove growth. They feel it and they know we're all in it to really make their, our job is to sell more products or to make their brands more well-known or whatever the KPI is for that client. And, and so I you, think you have to have that spirit. There are different versions of that. And of course, there's a PNL fight everywhere inside of also our client orgs, right? It, this is not a new topic. Here, we definitely have the, one of the things I really love about when I left Omnicom and came here is there is more of this power of one spirit. We definitely have a different way of thinking about it that is culturally at the core of Publicis group, 
which enables that as well as our focus on building capabilities at the center. So before I was in this role, I was building a capability at the center. My job was to future-proof the agencies. So I'm building something to make it easier for your previous friends that used to be in this building to go sell something new to solve a client problem. That was my one job. So I think that's that's something that is really beautiful about what we've built here because you also start to meet all those like-minded people and they understand, okay, you're really good at this thing and I'm really good at this. So together we're going to solve the client's problems. Fantastic stuff. Somewhere along the line, and you mentioned the word and it was a, such a big part of your tenure uh, at Publicis, expert in the whole commerce world, which has changed and e-commerce, of course, which has evolved so much in the last 10 years. How did you gravitate to that particular part of the business? Was it something that you studied? Was it something that was a lifetime interest? Was it an accident? Because you've become a real guru of sorts in that space. Yeah. I So when I first joined the agency side on TPN, I worked for a founder, Roger Winter, who saw the space. He was, he had run um, the business at 7-Eleven and he'd ran the business at McDonald's and was very successful in terms of marketing and felt that at some, what happens is you lose touch with the consumer when you, when at that time, when they're in the brick and mortar world. So you don't know what happens. And so he built an agency that was really, really a business strategy agency designed to think about that final moment or mile when you are trying to get a consumer to do to buy something or do something, coupled with the requirement of, especially if you are dependent on someone like a Walmart or a Kroger, whoever it is, to sell your products, that there's also this B2B component of that conversation because you're brokering, how do I make sure that my brand, like the first brand I worked on was Oreo. How do I make sure Oreo gets its fair share when you walk into a store and you see it at the end cap and you have to have it? So I grew up with these principles that were much more about marketing as a growth driver to drive the category or to change a business to business conversation versus creative We'll make creative and then they'll come. So that's at my core. I've been trained through that lens of if I have $1 to spend, where do I spend it to drive my growth? How do I also negotiate that in a place where I've got it? I need to get my fair share with a partner, for example, like a Walmart. So as I was you know, building out my ability as a practitioner, I was seeing that a lot of the things that I was doing were becoming media conversations and Amazon really was right in the center of that, where there were a new channel. Are they a retailer? Are they a media property? What do we do with them? And I was starting to see a lot of my time was being spent on that conversation of like, where are we investing our dollars? Even though I'm creating commerce experiences, where are we investing our dollars? How am I spending media dollars so that I can make sure that if someone is searching for their favorite product on Amazon, I show up. And I'm in the I'm the first one that they see. So I started seeing that I was doing more and more of this, which is what led me to want to leave the experience side and move into something more media oriented, which is why I went into publicist media, best place that you could possibly go to build out this 
practice around how do we use products and strategic thinking to really help our brands get their fair share and be able to invest properly. Um, and then, of course, that is then expanded and exploded into all of retail media networks, as well as direct to consumer and all of those other opportunities. But at its core, it's all about route to consumer. And so for me, I've been focused on route to consumer. And it sounds sort of geeky, but like, what makes you buy something? <laughs> what really makes you give me your information so that we can have a relationship that I've always thought about that as the first thing? And then that that has now become much more of the center of the work that we're doing and also matches the plat your ability to basically hack the platforms. So if TikTok wants to be a retailer now, what are you going to buy from there really? How are we going to do that? What makes sense? And so that that's a little bit of I've just probably kept pace with consumer change and the change in the dynamics of partners like an Amazon versus trying to think about new creative opportunities because creative is wedded to where consumers are spending their time. Such a great story. And I love that it started by working for a great visionary that you referenced Roger, and then, you know, sort of jumped into the swimming pool full time at Publicis. You came in there at a pretty high level. You joined and uh, immediately became their commerce practice lead for North America. Talk about the leap from Omnicom to Publicis, and you referenced it lightly, and this is not a uh, Scandal Makers podcast, but talk about the cultural differences between the two. So it was a big leap. I mean, I loved my agency. I was there a long time, um, and I built it, and I built the brand inside of Omnicom with my CEO, Sharon Love, who's amazing, and I just wanted to get closer to media, and I felt like I needed to do something new. And it was interesting. One thing that you don't think about is, and you mentioned Omnicom University. I had a lot of friends and I had a lot of political capital. So when I first came here, I'm, I was had this moment where I'm like, wow, I don't know anybody. <laughs> I mean, I knew a couple of people, but I really didn't know anybody, which was exciting and overwhelming at once. So that was one thing. The second thing, and I touched on it, is we definitely have this culture of invention and not an entrepreneurship inside of Publicis, which was just different than Omnicom's view of it, which I really liked and was very productive for me, given the fact that there was a lot of inventing to be done in this commerce practice space because it was a white space. I also really found that and I think this has changed more so at other hold codes, but Publicis in particular was is as a group is very good about getting everyone together in the middle across media, creative, digital experience, whatever sort of specialty area you're in. We're really good about the power of one and how we work together as an engine to drive growth. And that's culturally also what we do. So whatever we need to do for our clients, we do it. To, or up and around the inherent political structures and PLs and all those things. So that made it much easier for me to come in as a practice lead to work across all of the agencies and to really be able to productively build something that also agencies were willing to bring into clients that we could then convert and grow and then therefore grow the 
muscle of that agency in this new and really transformational space. So you talked about uh, it earlier and just referenced it again, but that notion of sort of uh, of a culture of one, if you will, and pulling the different disciplines together. Do you think that is something that Arthur really brought to Publicis? Is it something that was a legacy from Maurice? Let's dig into that a little bit. Yeah, I mean, I think it's both. I, you know, I I didn't work with Maurice, but I've seen him here, you know, several times. And obviously, you know, he is, is important in terms of his view. And I think for what I would take from that is his focus was really around how do you bring data, media and technology together? To, to really transform clients' businesses and really with a focus in a, in, on technology and playing harder there in a time when no one was talking about that. Our tour has put more people, and that was more of a, in my opinion, a little felt more capability oriented. So the acquisition of, you know, Digitas, for example, like some of the things that were brought in that were really designed against that strategy. Artur then stepped in and really put more of the people component against it. So there were already those things that were happening. Of course, the Epsilon acquisition happened, and that was to, to really round out data. But he really put this, how do we all work together, really work together to deliver the power of one to clients so that when we're putting together solutions. I actually know all these people and we work together. We've proven this because we've done this in many other places with the same humans or humans that have trained the next human. So it's a repeatable model. And that is really how he inspires all of us to work across so that we're thinking about how we're solving that client's problem. So, you know, and then of course he's fantastic in terms of driving us to think about the new things we should acquire. You know, I led the the acquisition of Profitero and that was really me saying, this is something we need to supercharge our view of data, to supercharge how we're going to make our media investments smarter through the lens of data, which Profitero would be bringing into us. So we had a better view of what's happening in the digital shelves of all these retailers. And so, you know, that still continues in terms of how we think about that. But I think we have done a better job culturally on the people part. And I think okay. that's really our tour, really driving that through the land. And Tim Jones here, too, as well, has done an excellent job of really making all the marketing services work together versus creative is here, media is here, experience is here, which is, again, not helpful for our client, for our clients or the consumers that we need to enable us to be really customer centric. Great answer. So you move from being a, a, a practice lead to a COO to a CEO. Yes. That puts a lot more on your plate. Talk about that evolution and the balance between internal facing, which a big part of a CEO's job, and external facing, being out there working with the clients, which is an area that I know you really like. Yeah. You know, it's it was it's interesting. It's a it's a big job, but it's my other job was really hard too, because there aren't a lot of capability people in the center. So there is a ton of demand and I am definitely a service-minded leader. So if you send me a question, I'm going to respond. I'm going to help you win that thing. So that was 
so moving from a practice lead to a COO, which is really like practice lead was what are the things we need to do? What are the things we need to acquire? Well, how do we start incubating? COO, let's scale this. We've got to scale this across the group. We have to scale this harder into the agencies so that we are getting our fair share in the market because we've, in the old job, I figured out the places we needed to play because I could say these were the things that were going to grow. Moving into Digitas feels similar to when I was at TPN. So I have experience, of course, in running people. Um, but it, you do realize that it is a people business, which in my other job was more less of a people business, more of a solving problem, a lot of pressure on that job. This is a different type of pressure because it's people and clients, um, which feels so it's like it's so I'm taking all the things that I did in in the practice world and applying that logic to an agency. So if an agency is a practice, how do we think about product? How do we think about people? How do we think about the process and the pitches and all the things that I built for the capability to scale? I'm bringing that sort of thinking into the agency world. But, you know, people are important. And so this is a this is a much more care and feeding role than my previous role. I'm not afraid of it. I did it before at TPN. Um, it's actually been fun to have that back versus moving pitch to pitch, which was the previous job. Um, so there's a lot more camaraderie in this type of role. And I'm really honored to be running, you know, the unicorns. It's a fabulous agency born in 1980. There's an incredible history here of invention, and I, I'm an inventor at my core as well, so it's a great match, and it's pretty fantastic to have the role to, to move Digitas into the next phase. Fantastic answer. You touched on something else that I'd love to dig a little deeper on, and that's you know sort of the human component and care and feeding. I think you use that uh those words or expression, how are you doing getting people to come to work? How much do you care if they come to work? And uh, sort of what's the current, I'm not really asking what's the corporate policy, but what are you finding practically and pragmatically um, with your people? It's a very big topic. Uh, it's something I worry about as a New Yorker, as, as leases are given up and uh, people move out of state or are allowed to work remotely, you know, the future of New York and the tax base for New York City and New York State is tied directly to commercial office occupancy. And it's a topic that I think our political leaders are largely uh, out to lunch on and not focusing on at all. Uh, what are you experiencing as CEO? You got a great building, a great neighborhood down there. I know if I worked for you, I'd sure like to come to work, but give me your take. Yeah, I mean, you know, we, this is a very big topic and we at Digitas are focused on flexibility for our people. However, return to office is important for all the reasons you mentioned. And it's about having me, I think the, what our focus on is creating meaningful in-person engagements, <clears throat> which is hard because in the last three years, we have spent a lot of time building out hybrid, hybrid and somewhat all distributed approaches to everything that are in a virtual world. 
So now where we do want people to come back to the office and what does it mean to be meaningful in the office when you also are sitting on teams now, which wasn't the case in 2019 because we've distributed the teams. There's some things to be done to work those things in concert with each other. So you have a meaningful experience in the office and how do you modify ways of working so that when you're in the office, you're working in the office with each other. We know we get energy from each other. You know, I firmly believe it sounds like you do too, that it's important to be in the office because you just pick up, you can't pick up how to read a room, how to respond to something on Teams. You do that in a conversation and also by watching, you know, people that bring you into a meeting or talk to you on the hallway between, you know, a break and a meeting where you're like, okay, this happened that you just, it, that's just the way the business works because we're in a people business. So we are definitely focused on getting people to come back three days a week. We need them to come in because this is our business is a people business. And we need to also be able to have meaningful engagements in the office as well as with clients because clients also want to be in person as well. So that's where we are on that is really driving towards how you're more, how you're in person, but also how it's a, the mo, how we're maxing out the meaningful impact of those in-person moments, which is the harder part of that question, because it's taken us three years to build this hybrid, somewhat remote way of working. And it's going to take us time to work it so that we're now not as dependent on teams and more dependent on being in person. And I don't know what that looks like. I think that's a, a great debate. Um, I think it, it's a generational debate that is, you know, we need to see what happens and really listen to all the all the, the new and the, you know, not so new to Digitas crew to figure out what's right for us and what's right for unicorns. And how is it impacting on your ability to attract talent and to retain talent? You know, it's a really good question because our new talent want to come to the office. They they want to have the experience. You know, we've just onboarded a big piece of business and the client said it's you the requirement is 3 days a week. We had way more people that wanted these jobs than turned them down. And that was the front page news, 3 days a week in this office. Because that's how the, the clients like, that's the requirement for them as well. And so to me, that's a signal of, and a lot of the talent you're bringing in for that are, are more junior talent with the type of work for this client. And they're happy to be here. They want to be here because that's how you make meaningful relationships, especially when you're just out of college. I say this because I have two stepsons. So I look at it through their lens when they're just out of college, they are in a place where they're together all the time. And so like being alone in an apartment or in a house or wherever you live, isn't probably great coming off of the fantastic college experience, right? So for that group, we're seeing that they, yeah, they're like, we're ready, we're coming in. It's showing because when we're recruiting for these new roles where we, we are choosing, it, it is for us to choose versus we can't fill them. I, on the I think there is definitely something in terms of those that are probably more senior that can see both sides of this equation. Maybe they're more settled in terms of, you know, how they view their life, their work-life balance. That's the part that I think is probably the hardest to recruit and the hardest to keep with the balance of your work really being in the office versus um, 
being in your home and what that looks like. But we believe, you know, we are flexible in terms of how we make that work. Just like, you know, I also have a nine-year-old and I, sometimes I need flexibility because he has something at school and I need to be there at 8.30. So I am here by 9.30. I mean, I think that there's a quick connection between flexibility and return to office. And those are two different topics. Yeah, I think you're right. And I, I think we're we're on the same page. I, I marvel at how we have gone from a couple hundred years of business culture where you work Monday to Friday and you go to work. And summer Fridays, certain industries had that or as being one of them. Uh, but there was no question that you're going to work Monday morning and you're working till Friday, you know, late afternoon. And how quickly that pendulum swung. And I think you're in the majority. It's interesting that a client uh, was mandating that. I kind of like that. Uh, and I do see a lot of young people, I think the pendulum swinging, recognizing that it's better for them, you know, and their career growth. And, you know, you can't get mentored in your kitchen. Uh, right. And uh, you can't really build a relationship. I think the medium that we're using to record this is wonderfully effective for what you and I are doing right now, but you can't really look someone in the eye on Zoom or Teams or Google Meet or any of the other platforms. That's right. And, and I, I also think it depends on what type of career you're choosing for yourself. I can only speak to what I think it means to be meeting to, for the agency world and also what's meaningful for our clients. Like, remember, we have clients where the requirement for those businesses like a Dunkin' Donuts, that's live and in person. So like we, that, that, that's a very important thing to think about is like our, they can't do everything on Zoom. They, right, these are services. So like you thinking about you putting yourself in the lens, like I always do, the lens of my customer, my customer's customer. It's important to think about your experience when you're commuting into your office or you're driving in or whatever your situation is um, from your location, you're observing what's happening. Who's going to where? Like these are important things that make you a better marketeer um, for your clients. Those require you to leave your kitchen. Absolutely. Absolutely. So you've been CEO now for, I guess we're getting close to six months. Not even. I've just made three months. Three months. So three April, months. April, May, June, May, July. May, June, oh, July. May. Three okay. and all, all right. Yeah. All right. So thank you for correcting my uh, my <laughs> math. Math was never my strong suit. Talk about uh, what you have found that surprised you. What you uh, what you kind of expected and did happen. And if we're you know talking again a year from now, Amy, what will be different at Digitas? under your leadership than where we are today in, in August of 2023? What might be different sure. in August of 2024? So the things that were a surprise and delight is that, the, like I had mentioned, we have fantastic people. Nothing's broken. We have fantastic people and that, you know, our unicorn population is incredible. We have a beautiful set of clients that really value how much Digitas focuses on their growth, their business growth. And so those are all positive things. The things that I we are focused on is really putting a finer point on what Digitas does and will continue to do and will continue to iterate upon to be even better at in the future. 
Um, and that's really talking more about that, which is our offering of networked experiences. When you think about the core of Digitas, we were always born, and I'd mentioned this in sort of the, you would ask the question about publicists, around how we have the convergence of data, media, technology, and creativity. And that is at the core, we have an incredible set of capabilities to be an all-in-one agency to our client partner, to our clients from an all-in-one standpoint. But we don't talk about that enough in terms of precise capabilities that we can deliver to clients, which we'll be focused on. So our overall offering is around networked experiences. What that means to you is that we're able to build brand narratives to find you in the networks, the places where you spend your time. This is powered by our ability to have incredible data and analytics, our strong ability to have CRM, which we're calling addressable relationships, of course, our strong creative experience offering, as well as media capabilities. So I want to focus more on those capability stories so that it's clear that we do these things. And so then it'll pay off that you can basically create a marketing growth engine in combination with Digitas. When we think about our buyers, CMOs, CGOs, chief growth officers, sometimes ahead of media, they are really full stack marketers because not only is it about just making creative, it's really about making a marketing engine. And so we want to be their full stack partner and how all those things work together to drive growth for their brands or to drive shareholder value. So it's thinking more of a full stack, which we already have inside of Digitas. This is part of our core born in 1980 around this, around like the, the thought of data and direct mail, which is really the underpinning of Digitas, which at the time was super innovative. So that's still very important, but now it's about how do all those things work together to build out a networked play that can enable your favorite brand to grow in all the places you might experience it and want to buy it. Absolutely terrific. And give me something that you think will be different a year from now. I think in the, a, a different in a year from now is we will be more precise about our offering for sure. We also, one of the things about Digitas is everyone will say it has a fabulous culture, but I'm not sure everyone talks about culture the same way. So in a year from now, you'll have a consistent theme of this is how what it means to be a unicorn. These are the five things that are our culture. And we will use those things to recruit clients, to make sure we're recruiting the right talent, to make sure we're assessing our own talent, and also as just sort of the North Star for how we'll behave in the office, in virtual, et cetera. Like we need a more connected culture base. It's here. We just need we need to put words on a page. Great. Well, this was absolutely delightful. Thank you so much for joining. I, I, this was so much more enjoyable uh, than I thought it might <laughs> be. Thought? Yeah. Well, I, I, I don't know. We, we don't know each other. And you yeah. know, sometimes it's somebody who I know for 25, 30, 40 years. And sometimes it's someone who I've met literally, you know, 50 minutes ago, which was the case here. But you are absolutely brilliant and a delight to talk to. And I enjoyed this immensely. Thank you. I love talking to you too. 